Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. Today is the 7th of June, Monday, not Sunday. We had a couple of technical issues, but we are here slightly later than promised, but we are here. Small moment of congratulations for both us and the listeners. Uh, today is actually the 100th the 100th episode of TRSI since it moved to Gripped, which is uh, about 90... Seven ninety six more episodes than I thought we'd actually do, Michael. No, I like when when we started this, we assumed that there would be very little interest in it. Very few people would listen, and it would mostly and just we be right. screaming into the void. But we weren't as right <laughs> as we thought we'd be, Michael. <laughs> okay. No, and since then, we've actually had a fairly, I mean, fairly sizable listenership for what this is. And we get many comments on it, and people reach out to us to discuss it. And it has been overall, I think, rather uh, an unexpectedly excellent time, which I hope the listeners have enjoyed as much as we have enjoyed giving up every Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Oh, yeah, it's been a joy. In many ways, I think it actually has been. (laughs) Yes, indeed. That little self-congratulatory note aside, let's go into what we actually want to talk about today. So, Michael, there's so much has happened over the last day. When after we had recorded a show, the audio was terrible, we had to lose it, and then things just kept happening. Sunday is meant to be the day of rest, Michael, but no one has been at rest this Sunday. No, there are no Sabbatarians amongst the, the demonstrators, protesters... The risers are the losers. They're all working on the Sabbath day. So, I mean, let's start with something that, not that serious in and of itself. It's about the media. It's insider baseball. So we hope you, you'll stay with us for this. It's about the BBC, though. And I think it is rather funny, but also somewhat illuminating. We were talking in the last show about stuff that is, when you write something that's true, the journalist will write a, a headline that's perfectly true but also wildly misleading and how it could just, you look at it and you go, that's, that's bullshit. That's all that is. But now we have a, the BBC has produced a different thing, a nearly heroic headline, I think, <laughs> of yeah, yeah. inspired an act, a headline I can only assume was the result of malicious compliance by a journalist who was told, put a positive spin on the riots and don't say anything unpleasant about them. Everything from the headline to the photo they chose for it is just mwah. It is the chef kiss of, I'm doing what I was told to do, you can't give out to me. And it was this. The headline is this. 27 police officers injured during largely peaceful anti-racism protests. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, it makes you absolutely demand the question to yourself. Well, how, how many police officers would be injured in dem- in demonstrations which were not largely? Peaceful? I mean, I did see someone. I did see someone responding by saying that. Well, I mean, in the same sense, World War Two was very peaceful in that, despite the fact millions died, many millions more did not. Yeah, there were the, there was a whole series of those on. on oh, on there's some fantastic today. ones. It's some very funny and ones. And the photo they chose for this is. The police officer whose horse bolted after someone hit it in the head with a bicycle runs under a traffic light. She cracks her skull off the traffic light 
goes about two meters in and hits the ground and the horse bolts off. A statement that came out later said that the horse was perfectly safe and had returned to its stables. So you've got a police officer on the ground with another police officer looking over. There's police on a horseback and there's a police that is rearing back as someone in the corner with a bicycle. The wheel is up and it looks like someone is trying to hit the horse with it. I remember years ago reading that this may not be true, but I think it is a true that in in the military there is a charge uh, from which we get the phrase, and the charge is dumb dumb insolence. And th- this charge is when an officer would give an order, and the order would be carried out, but the shall we say the comportment or the attitude of the person carrying out the order would be so full of dumb insolence as it, as as to be actually offensive and almost actually disobedient. So there, you could be actually prosecuted, you, put, you could be put in charge for dumb insolence. And I think that this is, in its own way, a bit like that. I think this had to be someone who knew exactly what this looked like. You can almost see the inverted commas, can't you? They're not there. Do you remember years ago? Jeremy Paxman, and I don't know why, I think there was like a, there was a strike on or something of media personalities. And so Jeremy Paxman was forced to give the weather. <laughs> yeah. And he delivered it in the most contemptuous, just dismissive sense I've ever seen weather given. And I kind of got this sense. And all it's led is to comments from people just joking about it because it's so ridiculous. My personal favourite is um, Archduke's assassination caps largely peaceful tour of Sarajevo. <laughs> referencing, of course, the starting of World War I when Franz Ferdinand was killed. I think there's, there, there was always, as there has to be, of course, the Lincoln joke, which was um, largely uneventful night as President Lincoln attends uh, first show of our American cousin. Largely uneventful. Kennedy passes away after a largely peaceful drive in Palace, Dallas. Yes, yes, I saw that one. That was good. Uh, it, it, it is one of those, it is, it's going to go down, at one of the great headlines, I, I, I think I might have mentioned before, the, the journalist Claude Coburn, and they used to, he and his friends in the, the uh, in the Times uh, foreign section used to compose deathly dull Headlines and there was a a lottery if you could to see who could get theirs published and he said he won one week with small earthquake in Chile not many dead and I think this is in that spirit because as I said you could almost see those you know the peaceful demonstration largely peaceful demonstration the invisible uh air quotes around it that you can hear the tone but you can't I mean the man described it as he was or the woman described it as he was and it is perfectly accurate the majority of protesters would have been peaceful in that there were hundreds of other people who could have thrown bricks at police officers yeah but didn't now i saw another one that was the same kind of perfectly correct but bullshit and it was from vox.com they were talking about these scenes in washington now you may have seen the media say that when president trump went to that um, photo op he had at a church so yes. that's called the President's Church, um, because so many presidents have gone there. 
that uh, the crowd that was there was dispersed using tear gas. And I remember seeing the video of this and I thought it was quite weird because I saw flashbangs and I saw smoke grenades, but I didn't see tear gas. Also, what you didn't see were all of the all of the cops wearing gas masks. No, most of the co- police officers were not wearing gas masks. There were a couple, but most of them weren't. And if you're going to use a chemical irritant like tear gas, which is subject to the wind and therefore always to a degree uncontrollable, you will wear proper gear because you're not going to tear gas yourself a second time. Yeah. Most military, and I would imagine in America, most police units will have to undergo tear gassing. Or the effect will have to withstand the effects of a chemical irritant during their training. And if you've ever had that done to you, Michael, you're not going to volunteer to have it done again. Right. So, but like tasing. But what happened is it was reported broadly across media that tear gas had been used, including, I believe, in the Irish Times. Uh, I think in the Irish Independent again, but I'm pretty sure I saw it in the Irish Times. And I said, when you watch the video, it's quite odd because it looked like they were throwing smoke grenades. And then the police came out and said, actually, we just use smoke grenades. So terribly embarrassing for people well I, just to be absolutely i think it was the park police and they said their not their initial comment was we did not use uh tear, tear gas. gas just just that that was it they just they said we did not use tear gas but then they afterwards it all developed and they had to give a clarification what happened is vox went back for them for a clarification and then put up a story that was headlined U.S. police say it was a mistake to insist it didn't deploy tear gas to disperse a crowd ahead of President Trump's Monday photo op. Perfectly accurate. Perfectly accurate headline. The problem is this. Any reasonable person reading that would take that to mean that they did deploy tear gas and they incorrectly said they didn't. Yeah. What they actually said was that we did not use uh, tear gas. We did use smoke and pepper balls. Vox said that that distinction was relatively moot, which it's not. They're very different things. And then the the park police said, well, we weren't trying to misunderstand you. And so if that was the case, then it would have been a mistake to say we didn't use tear gas because we didn't use CN or CS, which would be the standard types of tear gas. We used pepper balls. It wasn't our intention to mislead you. And what that became was a headline absolutely designed to make you think that they had actually used tear gas when what they're saying is we're sorry if it confused you we should have been more clear we didn't use tear gas uh, but when you when you actually read the text of the the communication from the uh, from the, the park police the, the tone is rather of somebody explaining to a child and they're sorry now yeah you know, see we we thought that you'd understand that what isn't tear gas isn't tear gas. It's something else. But you didn't understand that. So we should have said it's not tear gas. It's something else. And we were wrong. We should have told you that the something else was this. Because we, and it, the, the brackets are, because we didn't think you were that stupid. And he does himself mention that if you look at the video, most people aren't wearing gas masks. It would have been impossible for us to use tear gas without gas masks. Yeah. Um, because you can't walk through it without protection. Whereas you can see in the video, even protesters stopping in the smoke. Now, if that was tear gas, if that was a, a strengthened chemical irritant, you're not going to yeah. stop in the middle of it. You're going to get out of it. 
And we know that in this island, well, those of us who are old enough, because the use of CS gas was a very, very hot top topic here, because it is very, very unpleasant. And for example, if my memory serves, that if somebody had a respiratory illness or asthma or something, that it could could be very, very dangerous to them to be exposed to CS gas. And therefore, there was a lot of a lot of d- debate about whether or not it was a suitable thing. I to particularly use. liked the um the part in the the Vox article, where they said that experts in policing tactics have called the distinction between smoke, pepper, uh, balls, and tear gas semantic. No, they're they're very different things. Yeah, it seems unlikely that experts in policing would actually make that well, I mean, kind of... Michael, you say you, that, but you, then before this week, I would have thought that you wouldn't get 1,200 public health professionals to say that you should go out and protest during a pandemic because it's perfectly fine, but also you shouldn't go out and protest if it's for ending the lockdown because that, that furthers white supremacy. 1,200 public health professionals sign on to it. But that's the week we live in. That's the same week where it says that if in twelve, if in 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 fourteen days we see a spike in infections, uh, we should not blame the protesters. We should blame racism. That is profoundly infantilizing of black people, by the way. But Gary, isn't a whole chunk of the commentary on this profoundly infantilizing? Isn't isn't it saying, oh well, well, what else would they do? How else would they react? It because it's coming from the progressive left and infantilization of minorities and women is their sexual or is their racism and bigotry of choice. There is there is massive undertone and with all of them of this sort of well, what would you expect from these people? Well, I'd expect them to be responsible citizens in control of their actions. What would you expect from them? Because it doesn't sound like you expect much. Yeah, it, situations like this, you're constantly reminded you the words of George Bush, George. W, uh, what's the phrase? The subtle racism of lower expectations. Yeah, I, I think it's very accurate. It's one of the. It's one of actually the major problems I've had with modern feminism and the modern progressive views on race. At my core, I just don't think that little of racial minorities and women. I just think they're people, and they have control of their actions, and they can succeed or fail based on those actions. And yes, there may be differences on certain things, but at my core, I just can't believe they're less than me. So I've always struggled to, you know, try and become a member of the progressive left. Also, it's just very hard to imagine any one group of people behaving in one way, in reacting in one way, and thinking in one way, because they share one particular characteristic in common. And something as random a characteristic as melanin. Speaking of melanin, Michael, have you ever sat in your home and thought, "God, I'd love to get, I'd love to get a takeaway, but I don't want any of my money going to one of those black-owned businesses." Well, naturally, Gary, I have. I mean, but I wouldn't exclusively. I mean, I have a list of prejudices that uh, is exhaustive. Well, I mean, maybe I my news, my maybe food. my news isn't as good then as it could be for you, because I okay. So, Uber are going to make your racism easier, Michael. Yours personally. And how, really? Yes, absolutely. Well, it sounds good, but tell me more. <laughs> but how can they do it, Gary? Well, here's how, how Michael. How can you do this? At these prices. Uber have decided that their Uber Eats 
system, which basically you order food from a restaurant and it delivers it to you. They have decided... Now, they didn't phrase it as making racism easier. They Because, you know, corporate communications is a specialized field. And you don't want to come out right and say it. So what they okay. said was that we understand that you want to give black businesses your money. So for that purpose, we have allowed on the app a, a list of all of the businesses that are owned by black people. So that you can make sure you're giving them your money. Well, obviously, I mean... For all the racists out there, this is a tremendous advance. And I hope this isn't going to just apply to uh, the United States. But can I just make one observation? And maybe, Gary, I mean, you've been in college more recently than me and you've done a lot of of maths and economics more recently. So I may be missing something here. From a business perspective, wouldn't wouldn't another useful thing be, for example, don't burn my shop down? Would that be quite a, a handy sort of kicking off point if you want to support black owned businesses? The simplistic view, Michael, is yes. That would be, it would be good not to burn down a black owned business. On a more complicated view, however, insurance. Okay. Right. I, insurance. I'm not, I, there, are, there are steps in the middle here, Michael. But the end result, I'm sure, is profit for black people. Because many experts have come out and said that those stores that burn down in black neighborhoods, they've got insurance. It's not a big deal. It's not like people in the community rely on them to support the community or build community or employ people from the local community and that way build up the community around them. So we're confident that all of these black owned businesses that have been destroyed will have had insurance that won't have, for example, a let out clause covering civil disturbance or riot. I mean, one would expect that many companies or many businesses that open in areas which have seen this sort of issue before probably do have exactly that clause. Um, to be honest, Michael, oh, the sorry. maths here... We surely, we can be confident, can't we, Gary, that after this has happened, insurance premiums won't go up, will they? I mean, Michael, I think at this point we have to trust the experts and the experts are saying that this is perfectly fine. Now, you're going to have to excuse the pun here, Michael, but the maths here okay. is a little bit of a black box. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what's going on in there, but burning down black businesses goes in and profit for those business owners comes out and the community is better off. And I think we're just going to have to, we're just going to, have to accept that, Michael. So the, that whole broken, the broken window thing with... The Bastiat thing, that's all wrong. No, I mean, this is basic Keynesian economics. We'll just keep breaking the windows and putting new windows back in. Cool, cool. Well, I'm I'm relieved to hear that because I had been concerned that there may be be some kind of an economic downside to owning a business that was burnt down, but isn't well, then I'm I'm, I'm happier about that. So now we have Uber doing this. I mean, I've got to say, this is a masterful move from Uber because they have been looking for a new competitive edge as their core business model comes under increased regulatory scrutiny. And in, in one step, they've managed to bring in a policy that will make racists on the left and racists on the right come together in beautiful harmony as one of them goes out of their way to give money to people for no reason, and one of them goes out of their way to make sure those people don't get that money for no reason. In fact, it may just balance out. Now, unfortunately, you can't use it to find Puerto Rican or Jewish-owned businesses, but with the speed Uber is moving at in this uh, area, Michael, I predict within 10 months we'll have those capabilities. I did actually, I saw a, a rather wonderful piece uh, 
talking about dismantling white privilege in Chicago, and 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 it was talking about dismantling white and Jewish privilege, and it listed the proportion of the students in Yale, Harvard, Princeton, and the University of Chicago. I think the proportion of the undergraduate students who are Jewish, and the proportion is the percentage is much higher than the percentage of national populace. And the line was opposing Jewish privilege is not racist, is not defamatory. It is about justice. So you never... I'm not surprised that it doesn't include Jewish businesses. No, I... It's, it's always one of those... You know, when it's just going a good way when someone says, do you know who's had it too good? The Jews. Yeah. They've well, just it, been coasting through history like a white man falling ever upward. I can't remember who wrote it, but somebody wrote a, a, a monograph, maybe got a book out of it, which was entitled something like... Uh, when 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 Jews when when Jews in America became white, because for quite some time, in a sort of in a socioeconomic what anthropological sense, Jews in the United States weren't treated as being white. And then I think it's after the war in the fifties. Suddenly, for example, Harvard didn't admit Jews. Harvard didn't appoint Jewish professors for quite some time, and then suddenly they decide to okay, Jews are white now, and within not that many years the number of jewish students have gone up the new the new version of this would be people from east asia who are always not included in the statistics when you're looking at university admissions because well, i think actually the they're moment, blatantly being discriminated against there there is actually i think a, is it a, a class action there is there is a class action against harvard this that is actually that is the one example of systemic racism in america that i can think of is discrimination against Asian students in American universities. Do you remember the excuse that Harvard gave? Was it, we have got to discriminate against these people in order to ensure diversity? Uh, no, no, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was better than that. It was, they said, well, yeah, the thing is in Harvard, we, we're not only interested in people's exam results, in their SAT scores. We're also interested in the, the whole person. We want interesting, rounded, engaged personalities coming to Harvard, which is basically saying Asians are not interesting, rounded persons with personalities. You know? So we don't want that kind of people coming in here. Yeah, you know? we want other sort. So they said that it was ba- it was on, it was basically on the basis of the personality and maybe their interviews that they weren't getting in. Which does kind which of is imply pretty standard racist. Stereotyping. It's just we we are not discriminating against Asians. We just find that statistically, they have terrible personalities. Yeah, and they're less rounded. We're not stereotyping in a bad way here now. You know, we're not. You know, we just have to say that when you look at them, there's a lot of education there, but not a lot else. For anybody, by the way, who's interested in the whole area of affirmative action and third and and access to third level education, you should have a look at the work that's been done what's called the misfit theory which is what the actual results are for students who be who go to colleges who get admission to elite colleges which they wouldn't have otherwise got into because of uh, positive affirmative action and uh, the intention may be good gary but the results for the people involved is not such a happy story i wonder if we'll see any other business do this 
I mean, the Babylon Bee ran an article the other day, and it was a uh, rich progressive and KKK member find common ground in support of black neighborhood burning down. Yes. And yes, there is sort of a, like Uber obviously thinks it's helping. But at the same time, you're sort of going, so to help, you have drawn up a list of every person of a certain race so people can find it at a click of a button. That's kind of... Yeah, that's... That's just kind of dodgy. Well, I don't know. It, I'm sure, obviously, the intention was... But they're to... so happy about it. Like, can you imagine Uber running in and like, we've done it. You can now find all the places owned by Jews. And just this big smile on their face. Like, who is this for? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do here? <laughs> all the kosher delis. All the Armenian restaurants that the Turks won't have to go. And all the Turkish restaurants where the Armenians won't have to go. That would be it. They would do it for some reason like that. They're like, oh, it's so you can find kosher restaurants. And then someone in the back of the press release would go, so what if someone doesn't like Jews? You've just put together a list of every business they own. And the Uber rep would stand there going, oh, fuck. You know the simplest answer to all of this? Don't. Pizza. Pizza. Just eat pizza. Pizza is just the answer to all the world's like, problems. Who, who else would do this? I mean, could we get like a... Airbnb, where you can find out what houses black people own? <laughs> I really don't want to go down that line. No, but it's yeah, so obviously <laughs> dodgily racist. And they're so happy they've done it. Like, I've never seen a company. Like, it's just so masturbatorily happy while everyone else stands around awkwardly going, that that doesn't sound like... Well, it would. But the problem is, you know, taking something and dragging it, kicking and streaming to its logical conclusion is not necessarily where these things want to go. I mean, I mean how do you satirise that? Like, you can't even make a joke of that because they've literally just done it. Take the example today we saw in, in, in Bristol. Now, Bristol, as listeners may know, what, Liverpool and Bristol were the two cities in, in, the, in, in the United Kingdom that were most heavily involved in the slave trade. And Bristol particularly, many great fortunes were made uh, in the slave trade from Bristol. And there's a statue in Bristol, which is of a man who must have been a prominent city elder in his time who was also involved in the slave trade. Now, the statue has been there for I don't know how long. Anyway, a decision was made by the, uh, the demos therefore gathered to take and topple the statue. Do you remember all the, to- all the statue toppling that went on in Iraq after the fall of Saddam or even long before that? All the statues that came down in Russia and all over the, and, and the East. It was a bit like that. They toppled the thing and then they eventually they got it and must have taken a bit of effort and got it down into the River Avon. Well, there's another thing I'd ask you, Gary. Well, where, where does that end? We had this yesterday. We saw the statue of Churchill was defaced. I saw. I saw people deface the statue of Churchill and said he was a fascist because Churchill, Churchill had some views that were not great, but and not all of them were of the time either. Some of them were normal for the time. Other things he was a bit more virulent on. But I have enjoyed the movement from you know the people sharing photos of D-Day landings. Yes. And saying, here's a, the largest grouping of Antifa known in history. And we've gone from that 
to Churchill was a fascist in like two days. Yeah, I was told by somebody online recently that Churchill had many fascist opinions and I simply inquired, which which were they? The bad ones. As you know, I have this tedious thing that when it comes to the word fascist, I like people to actually tell me what does what they understand by that that term it actually has a meaning. So what, I was curious to know what the particular things were that he felt were he believed in that were fascist. I got sadly no reply. Maybe the man is away compiling a lengthy uh, and researched response. But where, honestly, where what what piece of building, what piece of art, what statue what anything is going to be left if this is where we're going to go david quinn was wondering should we knock down the coliseum seems like a reasonable thing i mean it does say have you seen have you ever seen the ark of titus do you know what we should do michael we shouldn't knock it down we should rebuild it that'll piss people off even more everyone will be unhappy (laughs) restore it perfectly to how it was well, it's there anyway. They wouldn't have to take any more ground. I mean, the road goes around it. Yeah, you could do it. Um, I don't know if would it would be a better tourist attraction. But right be- just beside it, you have the Ark of Titus. And one of the things that the Ark of Titus in Bass Relief actually displays is Titus coming back to Rome with slaves. Yeah, because slavery was common for most of human history. So, um, knock that down. The pyramids... Well, isn't there isn't there a, a debate now about whether the pyramids actually use slave labor? Because apparently they, there is a strong argument that they in fact used highly skilled craftsmen. They used some highly skilled craftsmen, but there were many many slaves in Egypt, and it would not have been possible for the Egyptian economy to go through the the process of building the pyramids without the use of slaves. Anything that was done in the Roman Empire economically at some stage, was connected to the use of slaves. The same would be true of the Assyrian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, Venetian, Venetians, Venice. Venice was the great slave-owning state of, uh, of, of Italy. Um, now, it, it might, I don't know, it might be an interest that most of the slaves they had were white. And the word slave... Skiav comes from the word for Slav because most of a lot, most or a lot of the, the slaves they had in their galleys, and that's what they used slaves for principally, for the, to row their galleys, were from Slavic lands. And they weren't Christian, so it didn't really matter. So we are we going to go into Venice, knock down St. Mark's, burn all the, the Tiepolos and the Tintorettos? I did see that the... The British police fell back from the Churchill statue, made no attempt to protect it. But you know which statue they did protect, Michael? Oh, um, I don't know. Oliver Cromwell? Richard Clives. Oh, Clive of India. Clive of India. A great man, Michael. A personal hero. No, I wouldn't go that far. Clive was rather accurately described as a brilliant man. A ruthless and a uh, whimsical sociopath. Well, if you want an example of a colonial despot, he is as as big a colonializer as you're going to get. Yeah, but he's also the man who basically took over India for the East Indian Trading Company and turned yes. what had been a normal company into oh now we just now we just run this uh, continent, which is kind of cool. Then he became the richest self-made man in Britain doing it, 
And then he later committed suicide because of the shame. So, yeah. Oh, which, since we're, you say India, um, I'm just thinking uh, Taj Mahal. And then we move over to, say, the Great Wall of China. We're talking slave labor, the Forbidden City. Actually, Michael, speaking of uh, of infractions against human rights. Yeah. We were complaining on the last show about the, the ICCL, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. I said they were hypocrites who only cared about rights to the extent that the people that they invite to their dinner parties might be offended about those rights. I remember you saying it. Which I, you know, some people might have thought was unkind and I thought was perfectly accurate. The ICCL, because they came out after the Black Lives Matter and said that there should be no police investigations, I, in, gotta be honest here, Michael, primarily in the spirit of divilment, yes, thought, I'm going to write to the ICCL press people, because I've talked to them a couple of times before, and I'm going to say, I saw that you mentioned the BL, the Black Lives Matter uh, event, and I saw you mentioned the uh, Debenham protest before. But I just wanted to clarify in particular one event and that you were opposed to the criminalization or investigation by police of the people involved. That being the activities undertaken by Gemma O'Doherty and John Waters and their supp- supporters. Now, okay. I strongly suspected that I was not going to get a comment back from the ICCM that in any way, any way, supported those protests. But they did get back to me, Michael. Oh, yeah. there you go. And would you like to know what they said? Oh, yeah, they said they did support Gemma and and John in their efforts. Well, firstly, they said that their press officer was on a uh, was on vacation, so could I get back to them later? So I did. And then they got me and said, "Thank you for contacting the ICCL. The right to peaceful protest is an essential democratic right under the Irish Constitution and under international human rights law." ICCL yes. believes that criminalising the organisers of any peaceful protest should be an absolute last resort. Kind regards. Oh, right. And then I sent another email, because remember, this is a media query from Gripped. And I, yes. if they had responded, I was going to write something about it. I said, thank you. Could you say under what circumstances you would find the criminalisation of the organisers or attendee of a peaceful protest, particularly the ones undertaken by Jem O'Doherty and John Waters, acceptable? And Michael, they just didn't get back to me. Probably because yes. they don't want a quote that has Gemma O'Doherty or John Water or any of those people's names and the ICCL in the same sentence. Well, maybe they're just trying to compose and, you know, they just didn't want to rush it. But they'll be back to you shortly. No. They no. are not going to answer because if those people went to a dinner party, Michael, and someone brought up that the ICCL had supported Gemma O'Doherty's right to protest... Would that go down well with those dinner party attendees who will be painfully middle class, Michael? No, it won't. And well, so the ICCL not. won't give it. Well, we wait with... with I mean, well, look, if, baited, if they give... Baited. I will promise you, Michael, if the ICCL send me back a sentence that says that they don't think Jim O'Doherty should be investigated by police, I will happily write an article which has that in the headline. Entitled, well done, ICCL. ICCL supports right of Jim O'Doherty to protest. And... <laughs> They will be delighted to see such a Michael, headline. Michael, they would be beside themselves to see such a headline. Unless that would be a problem for them because of those dinner parties I mentioned. In which case, that's probably a horrifying thought. Well, there aren't many dinner parties going on at the moment, so... Oh, they'll do it over Zoom or something. Oh, God, Zoom dinner parties. Is there anything worse? The notion of it. 
and they'd all organize it so everybody would have the same courses and the same wine and the same sparkling water and everyone afraid to give their actually i was gonna say afraid to give their opinion but i have a feeling that they're not afraid to give their opinion they're giving their opinions they're just incredibly dull well, they don't bother giving their opinions because they all have the same opinion, so like they know what their opinions if you, are. If you give an opinion, you could be fired. And that, 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 I think that was my most graceful segue ever into the New York Times opinion editor being fired. Yeah. For, I think we need to take a second, Michael, to look at that fucking segue and admire it. <laughs> okay. It, it was a thing of beauty. Well, we take a, we'll take a minute of silence, but we'll take like the dull minute of silence which in a podcast is going to be like a second. And there we go. There we go. We've done our bit. We've done our bit. So the New York Times did a very naughty thing. The opinion section of the New York Times, which is known. like The New York Times has published articles from the deputy leader of Al-Qaeda when America was at war with them. It's published articles by Putin defending Russia. But they they fucked up this time. They published an article by a sitting United States senator. Okay, imagine that a United States senator, Gary. I mean, that's mad. Tom Cotton, who argued that the military should be brought in to deal with the riots on the street. And he was careful in the piece he wrote to distinguish between protesters and rioters. Actually, quite careful. Oh, yeah, you know, if, you've, if you've heard people talking about this, that distinction is gone. But he himself did make it. Now, that led to a colossal blowback internally in the New York Times amongst its own staff. And it's it got pretty complicated. But the important thing is that the editor of the opinion section is gone. Just Wait. gone. James Bennett, who is the editorial page editor. He has been since May 2016 has resigned effective immediately. Now, I don't believe that's a resignation. I don't think anyone believes that's a resignation. It's, I'd say, they, they got shit-canned. Well, he's gone. Uh, that's the fact of the, and, um... and the deputy editorial page editor, also, uh, he didn't, he's not gone, but he is stepping, what they say, off the masthead, which means he no longer has an editorial position. He's going back to the, to the pit. This is a story, th- I mean... This is a piece which they invited. They actually they asked Cotton. Cotton put up some tweets about it, and they reached out to him and they asked him for it. And their their explanation was that this was a United States senator putting forward a view which many people would agree with, others would viciously disagree with, and they wanted to know could he stand that up and put it like if you're in the New York Times uh, opinion page, you are facing probably the most scrutiny you're ever gonna face. I mean, people yeah, are vicious. They, um, the point that they made was that uh, while it was all very well to have opinion pieces, and they didn't mind having opinions, but that the New York Times had, a, had, had an expectation that they would not have pieces which were responsible for, for, the dif- for diffusing uh, fake news or incorrect facts or whatever. Now, as you say, the man was particularly careful. He, he, he actually says... I'm paraphrasing here from memory that we have to be very. I I I I, re, I reject conflating peaceful protesters with uh, rioters, looters, and other miscreants, and they should not be treated as being the same or whatever it was. He 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 distinctly makes that distinction, 
all of the people criticizing the piece and saying, in fact, say that he basically seemed to be saying that he didn't make that distinction. So the fact, the fact checking object, objectors got their facts wrong, but that seems to be the, the smallest irony in this story. The, this, the newspaper of record, is it all the news that's fit to print? Who has democracy dies in darkness now? That sounds like the Washington Post. That's Washington Post. Yeah. Uh, I've decided that this was an opinion too far. No, an opinion too far, which when the uh, poll, when the poll was polling was done on it, uh, 58% of Americans said they agreed with the use of the military to regain control of the cities, uh, as opposed to 30% who disagreed. And when you broke it down, took the took the don't knows out and redistributed, uh, it ended up 63, 64% in favour. So, an opinion which is, we'll say, shared by 64% of Americans is so offensive to the, not to the news reporting, but the opinion page of the New York Times that they have grovelingly apologised. The, the technical staff went out on strike, didn't they? They had a, a virtual walkout. On the first day, the eight or nine of them went out and were subject to all sorts of nastiness. And then the next day, they all went out on a kind of virtual walkout. So I think it was uh, 800 staff members of the New York Times. The New York Times, by the way, is massive. It's just an incredible organization of the size it's set. 800 uh, staff members signed a letter saying it shouldn't have been published. The editors initially came behind the letter and said that, look, we can't just publish things we agree with. It would, you know, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the purpose of the opinion page. And to be fair, it's got a long history of doing that from pretty much any side. Like if you're publishing the deputy leader of Al-Qaeda explaining why your country (laughs) is terrible. Yeah. You are many things, but you are not afraid of putting out views that are controversial and that you don't agree with. But then... The last day, it turned. And the editors are now kind of like, it was reprehensible. Shouldn't have happened. There were failures. Someone is getting thrown under the bus for this. The New York Times staff started saying that it was making black New York Times staff unsafe physically. Unsafe. Which I I think has been the highlight of this. So first it was that uh, speech is violence. Then it became violence can be speech. Then it became silence is violence. I don't know if you've seen those. So now it effectively seems to be that, and I mean, this is obviously just language control. It's if you agree with us and we don't like what you're saying, it's violence. If you don't say anything when we want your support, it's violence. If one of our people uses violence against you, then it's speech. But if you use speech against us, then it's violence. And I mean, I don't. I've never heard what would happen if you used violence against them, but I can't imagine they'd be very understanding. I think that would be a bit like the Higgs boson in the Hadrian Collider, wouldn't it? Basically, it would just create a black hole and the world would disappear. If you get punched in the face by the platonic ideal of physical conflict. <laughs> or it's a bit, which probably feels a bit like having a horse having a bike thrown at it. Which, from the blood on that horse's face afterwards, didn't look like it was great. I loved the people who blamed that horse. I just thought it was a really... I mean, of all the countries in the world... Yeah, you want, you want to pick a country that has a strong military equestrian tradition and equates horses with being a noble creature. Hurting a, yeah, hurting a horse with a bike was just a And really, then you want to really hit it in the idea. face with a bike. 
And uh, then when the photo of that horse with its face covered in blood turns up, you should... I figured they would blame the officer for not being able to control the horse, and they did. But I was legitimately surprised when they started talking about how it was the horse's fault. Because, firstly, it's a horse. Also, it's... All I could think when people were like, well, the horse shouldn't have been there if it was that easy to startle. Do these horses not have training? Do they not know how to... You know, do not learn how to take a uh, uh, a hit from a bike in training. And then I heard people complaining it didn't have a helmet on it. And at that point, I was like, listen, you are, you're like 30 seconds away from, I mean, it was the horse's own fault. Did you see what it was wearing? That sort of skirt in that kind of area? Oh, no, it was asking for it. And you're like, I have never seen so much. I just... Thoris should have had a helmet. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I've never heard I've never heard someone being like, that is rape culture about that horse. <laughs> well, you know, if horses are going to hang around in that kind of a place. With those thigh high kind, anti riot boots they're know. rocking. <laughs> it was just asking for a bike in the face. <laughs> It's just I heard it. I was like, are you victim blaming the horse? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine the, what a, a horse's helmet There are actually horse's like helmets you can get for, for riots. They have visors on them, Michael. <laughs> oh, they should have dark glasses, you know. You know those memes of horses with dark glasses and a spliff? No, they don't. Well, they do have dark glasses, but it's like a one-piece visor. All right. But yeah, I mean, we've gotten to the point in our cultural cultural discourse (laughs) where people are just like, let's just victim blame a horse. It's its own fault. Yeah. We've just gone Mm. mad. I will say that the, the image of tens of thousands of people globally around the world protesting police brutality in America while a deadly pandemic rages. I mean, I say this as someone who thought the lockdown was not going at the speed it should, but it's sort of a, okay, this is what you wanted, and then you look at 40,000 people tightly packed together and go, no, no, that wasn't what I wanted. I was actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a doctor this evening, and he was saying, you know what, I, he, he had been very much of the opinion that we could start to there were accelerate the, the process of coming out that there were uh, now that we understood a lot more about the virus and communicated who who communicated and the where it happened and what kind of circumstances made it likely and less likely and it, that we could actually there were a lot of things we could do more safely and certainly there were areas where it could in, in areas in the geographical sense where it could it certainly could be accelerated but he said you know and he'd been saying this to people for quite some time he said in the last few days he started to feel far, far less sanguine because now it hasn't been anything like obviously as bad here. We had we had the march and we had the sit in and the protest, uh, the protests on 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 the Monday. We've had a few marches around the country. There was two, three hundred people in Limerick, but he said, looking at say the United States, looking at Britain, looking at France, look and other places, he said that he's really worried that this may be just the just the kick a, a, a weakening virus might have needed 
to get another get its wind up and start having another go again and um, he was rather annoyed I would have to say he expressed himself with a pungency that I don't normally expect from him it was a wonderful example of how incredibly stupid people can be I just well it's yeah stupid I suppose the protest to end the lockdown at least they had a purpose that could be actualized by your protest yeah if you were prote- protesting in Britain with your hands up, saying hands up, don't shoot, to an unarmed police force, except many <laughs> right, of yeah. these people are the people who, in other areas of their life, would be very intelligent. But there are just certain cultural issues and political issues that make people stupid. And there have never been so many people with so little else in their life to focus on. Yeah, um, I, I mentioned before MacWhorter's theory, John MacWhorter's theory, uh, he's the uh, linguistics uh, professor in Colombia, that anti-racism in the, in, in the United States has become, for many secular people, a form of religion. And that he was commenting there lately that if you watch the behaviours in the last few days, that it is absolutely explicitly religious in tone there are liturgies there are rituals there are chants incantations sacred spaces that it's absolutely a religious experience if a martian a martian anthropologist of religion was to come down and observe this he would automatically say oh yes this is obviously a, a religious Here, here's a question for Michael. i'm just curious what you think on this yeah the video is coming out and there there's lots from america but there's also ones from britain i'm sure if we have more of them there will be videos from ireland and it's of cr- crowds chanting at police officers, ask, telling them to take a knee, and those yes. police officers kneeling before these crowds. I mean, I have also seen video that came out sometime today of white people washing the feet of black people as an apology in America. Now, I struggle to yes. look at that and say, in the long run, this is going to help America heal its racial issues. I kind of look at that and say... This is going to kick off. If we, if you were to look at the approach of the last 40 years or so to the resolution of racial problems in the United States, as they've been advocated politically, rather than just those advances that have occurred organically within the society, I can't see that anybody could reasonably say that they've been successful that America today is a country which is happier or more at peace with itself on the issue of race. In fact, and people like Thomas Sowell and others would say, that as, the res- as in fact, the material conditions of racial minorities in the United States have improved gradually over time, the rhetoric has become more and more and more extreme. It's... What is practically, concretely going to be achieved for the the practical benefit of Black America, or wider for the for America, for the healing of America? I, I can't see this. I I can't see this as going. We live in an age of resentment, Gary. Resentment has become. I mean, God, I hate saying that Sartre was right about anything, but resentment has been the driving force from the twentieth century, and I, this has to provoke resentment. From your Appalachian poor white cracker. 
I think it has been one thing that's been amazing to me to see is that in some of those instances, the police forces were ordered to kneel by their superiors. Yes. Which yeah. I think is a terrible idea because it's it's not yes. going to help you. In others, they've chosen to kneel because of social pressure, largely. And it's yeah. been incredible to see heavily armed people bend to social pressure like that. I mean, I did see a video the earlier today and everyone but one police officer is kneeling in the line and the guy just refuses to kneel. And people are coming up to him and kneeling beside him and trying to kind of, you know, gently bring him down. He's just like, nope, not doing it. Probably because he has some vestige of self-respect. But other than that, any video I've seen where more than one or two police officers have decided to go down, nearly all of the others have gone down. I, okay, these these crowds are very diverse in their composition. I, yes, I, but, but, um, but put it this way, Gary. If you're... If you're a if you're a if you're a black police officer in a city in the United States and a protest is going on and you're facing a bunch of upper middle class white kids with Antifa masks on their face and they're demanding that you take the knee I could imagine that that would be a bit annoying what the fuck am I supposed to be sorry for what am I apologizing for where is my guilt Unless, of course, there is a collective guilt in the simple fact of being a policeman. And there is now. That's where we these things ratchet up and go forward. We now have politicians, not just crazy people, politicians, spokespeople from the arts and the, the movies, actively seeking to defund the police. <laughs> I mean, in the great pantheon, Gary, of really stupid I, ideas. I love it. The- People do not like. So when you look, when you look at the polling on support for Trump's response to this, people support some of his ideas, but they overall don't tend to think he's handled this terribly well. Yeah. So you've got that going for you. This is his chance, really, to overcome any economic damage COVID nineteen would have done and get in basically on a culture wars victory to twenty twenty, and it looks like he's not going to get it. And then you in your brilliance, decide that what you need to do is popularise the idea that police departments should be defunded. And I don't know if you saw it, Michael, because it happened just before we we went on to record this, but a majority of Minneapolis City Council, what's described as a veto-proof majority, Mm. announced today that they are going to disband the city's police department following the killing of George Floyd. So, you get to the 2020 elections, and it's like, Donald Trump, and you have police, or the Democrats, and you don't. And there have been specific proposals from Democratic politicians regarding uh, specific identifiable police forces. For example, I saw that one figure that the, the New York, uh, the NYPD, would be defunded to the tune of $1 billion. We, by the way, we we know. We know what happens when the police go on strike. Look at... It's called the Murray Hill Riot. Sometimes called the the Night of Terror. And it was Uh in Montreal, in Quebec. Yes. It's in 1969. It's when the Montreal police went on strike for 16 hours. And that's the great thing about this example, because it was widely expected amongst nice liberal people who were vaguely sympathetic to the idea of not having a police. You know, 
communities will come together, people will support each other, people will protect each other. There'll be a few bad apples. And you know, over the long term, we wouldn't like to see this maybe going on. You will see a fraying of the edges, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it won't be that bad. 16 hours. And the, Mon- the Mounties had to come in to save the city. Between the bank robberies... And the burnings, ten, and the murders, and the rooftop sniper. I mentioned before the 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 Harvard economist uh, Ronald Fryer, who did the the study uh, on uh, police violence and interactions between uh, police and uh, uh, black victims in the case of fatalities, and came up with the conclusion, which he said was the most surprising conclusion he'd ever seen in anything that he'd ever done, which was that while uh, people who were interacting with the police who were, say, who were African-American were more likely to suffer violence, who were more likely to be restrained, be handcuffed, even if, even if afterwards they weren't arrested, more likely to be put to the ground and so on. When it came to fatal shootings, that if you were actually 26% more likely to be fatally shot by the police if you were white rather than black. He... Produced Now, that's not an undisputed piece of research. There was another large study which came in afterwards which which suggested much the same thing. There are other studies which are critiquing the method, methodologies. Or that, but my, my point is, it's a serious study by a serious economist, happens to be a young black man, uh, which shows that this is not as, as simple an equation as people would like to make it out to be. But he's just published a new study, which the title of which he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal saying, good policing saves saves black lives. That when police forces, and this has happened, Gary, a number of times at different in response to different situations, where it was decided police would not be so intrusive, that they were felt to be a, um, a force of violence in the community, that they were perceived as being the enemy, that they were overly aggressive, so on and so forth, that when they were withdrawn and this lighter police approach was used, that that ended up in costing the lives of black citizens. What I also thought was interesting is that after the strike, because they passed emergency legislation forcing the police to go back on, but yeah. then they, they actually needed to send in the army to restore order. Because it turns out that after 16 hours, the situation had devolved to such an extent that the, the police couldn't do it. So 16 hours without police, and they couldn't walk it back. Yeah. Now, there is basically, a lot of that issue seemed to stem from one particular action involving a taxi company that decided to burn out its competitor, and that sort of set the ball rolling. And there is, you know, the idea that, okay, maybe if that hadn't happened, things would have been a lot more peaceful. There would have just been the bank robberies. But it did happen, and that's the problem. If there's no one there to stop a series of escalations, you're really just on a countdown timer to the first thing that sets it off. No, I just want to make a point from, on, on, on my own behalf here, that lest anybody misunderstand me. From what I have read, and I've been listening to people talk about this and reading about this for a number of years now, if you listen to people like uh, Heather MacDonald, Peter Moskos, uh, Glenn Lowry and others, uh, Ronald Fryer, who have so there is a problem in the United States with the police in certain 
uh, now that again is overly general because one of the problem, one of the realities of the United States, the police operate at a township level, a city level, a county level, a state level. There is no such thing as the police in the United States. There are massively different levels of training and investment and relationships, all sorts of things that affect the, the performance of police. Uh, the police in New York are by a fact, by a magnitude, less likely to uh, use their firearm or to have in, indeed a fatal shooting then for example police in the state of california there's massive differences all over the place but there is a problem in the united states with police violence it which involves killing of african americans but also killing in egregiously bad situations uh white people Latinos, Hispanics, whatever, everybody. There is a problem there. And one of the problems that has been talked about is the power, of, which is strange, you know, talk about the ironies, of a particularly powerful trades union, which has been enormously resistant in different places and in different cities to reform and to training and to disciplining officers who have been perhaps persistently committing infractions and serious infractions. There, there is actually an interesting thing there in the Republican support for the police. And you can kind of see it over most of the West as well, apart from Ireland, because our politics are mad and not in a good way, just in a very boring way, is that Republicans and a lot of the populist right are becoming sort of the political party of unions again. Yeah, although I would say that they always have been to an extent with 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 the police, and it's something I remember talking about years ago with uh, in in an old iteration of the Edmund Brock and other situations where I said there's a strange inconsistency with a lot of conservatives that they were deeply hostile to fixed practices and demarcation lines and rigid union practices in all sorts of areas, but when it came to, for example, the police force. They were willing to just suspend their disbelief about the nature of institutions and perpetuation of power and defending bad practices. And just say, okay, the police are great. No, no, we no, police, we absolutely have to defend the police. It's an inconsistency that a lot of conservatives have. But on a more general point, recently, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, a, there's an odd, uh, I think it's part of this wider movement against... I suppose move, movement away from that kind of Reagan, Thatcher, free market kind of conservatism, which is happening all over the gaff now, and I don't think it's going to be to the benefit of the conservatives. Hey, Michael, I know it's uh, I, there's many things that happened over the actually since the uh, Friday show, which um, is great for uh, for news purposes and may also signal the disintegration of everything else, but great for stuff to talk about. But even though I think it is the hundredth episode, we don't want to uh, we don't want to take too long of the listeners' time. So I think we should probably call it there, and come back on the Wednesday. Okay, and who knows? Something may have happened by Wednesday. Maybe the Greens will have gone into government, and we'll have the first Green T-shirt. Maybe someone will have nuked someone else. Always the happy thought. I mean, I I presume I'm not going to live in anywhere that nuke will land. Okay. Delgany. That's where the nukes are going to land. Peaceful walk through Delgany, marred by nuclear explosion. <laughs> yes. Otherwise uneventful day. <laughs> All the best. Bye-bye.